This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Welcome to Choosing Wellness, your one-stop shop for practical advice about how to attain better physical and mental well-being, so that instead of just surviving, you're thriving. In this series, we'll share a health journey, explore the trends, and talk to the experts who'll help you live your best life, and we'll have fun doing it. In this episode, we talked to Tashawn Carter-Newman, winner of Big Brother Canada, about life. Psychologist Dr. Avram Miller speaks to men's mental health, a being real story about mental strength, and Life Unlimited Stephanie Staples talks about making a bid. Sold! I'm Linda Freeman. Come join the journey of choosing wellness. How does one introduce to Sean Carter Newman? He has an amazing diverse background. Tashawn, welcome. And how would you sum up, well, you? I am a mental wellness advocate, community planner, speaker, actor, influencer, and so much more than those things. You are, and you've done so much. An official for basketball, you're a mixologist, you were a varsity athlete. There's not much you haven't done. And then you end up on a television show. Can you take us to that time in your life? I went on reality television a show called Big Brother Canada. I end up winning the show, winning $100,000, having lots of fame, fans, a platform, followers, all the things that you think that you would look outside and be like, wow, I'm so accomplished and so successful. To Sean, that's a big deal, a huge life change. How did all the fame affect you? It was really that moment where I felt really empty. And I think it became clear to me that something was wrong because If I could be what others would perceive as a good place and feel the way that I felt, I knew something was wrong. I really started to notice it at that point where I'm like, okay, I need to change something. I have to work on myself because other things on the outside aren't what's going to make me complete. It's going to be my relationship with myself. And once I realized that, I started really taking charge of my wellness and entering that journey. As a society, stigmas associated with mental health are prevalent and common. Men face the added stigma that seeking help for mental health is a sign of weakness, that real men don't ask for help. Now, Tashawn, you're in the social media space, an influencer. So to come out and say, I suffer from anxiety or I suffer from depression, that's a big step. Yeah, it was really hard to put myself out there, not because I don't like to share things in my life, but more so because I felt guilty because to the outsider looking in, it looks like I should be fine. Like, why you complain? You have all these things coming to you. You've had all these great things happen to you. How dare you speak out and say you're struggling? So it was really guilt holding me back. And then on top of that guilt, being an influencer, people see a certain side of my life where it's like it's hard to believe that I struggle on a many days because you watch these videos where I'm happy and doing all kinds of fun things. It's like, how on earth could you struggle? I think so often people have like dual lives, the one everyone sees and the one facing us in the mirror. Do you feel that detachment? I definitely do. And I would say like that fight has become easier because I think there's two sides to all of us, at least. There's a side that we project to the world and there's a side that we project to ourselves. And I truly believe we're at peace when those sides can exist in harmony. But when the sides are so far apart, we're in pain because we're showing one side to the world 
and then the other side is just struggling on the inside because they're so far apart. So for a long time, I feel like I was showing one side to the world. It's like I meditate, I journal, I, but I would do those things, but I wasn't doing them with intention. Like I was doing them for the camera. I was doing them because I'm supposed to. It's a checklist. I wasn't doing it because I'm journeying to actually show my gratitude or actually share my feelings and put them on paper and actually speak on my feelings or meditating to actually be at peace and in stillness. I was doing it because I should. And as a wellness influencer, that's what I should be doing. But I wasn't doing it with the same intention that I needed to be doing it with. So I've definitely been those two people. I'm still am those two people. But now I'm bringing those two people closer together. And how are you doing that? Just like by making the version I am of myself to myself more apparent to the real world. And there's so much more peace in doing that. And I think a lot of times as we mature, we start to do that more. That's why we have less friends as we get older. That's why we do less things that we don't want to do when we get older. And as we older, we start taking interest in the things we actually want to do, not what's cool, not what's trendy, not what others want to do. We start to become more of ourselves. And for some people, it happens faster than others. And for me, it's starting to accelerate. Can you talk a bit more about how you push through? Lots of men deal with these feelings, but they bury them, which is so unhealthy. So how do you do it? How do I do it? There isn't one way to get through things. And I've tried so many different ways, but it's finding the tools that work for us best, finding the things that help us address our traumas or help us address that weight that we're carrying on our shoulders. You have to find out what works for you. And for me, I tried everything. I tried therapy, Reiki, medication, journaling, changing my friendship, changing my job, changing literally everything. Right now, I'll tell you that therapy is huge because it helps you talk about your traumas or your ongoing challenges in your life. It helps you get that energy that can be blocked inside of you and get it out of you and share it. It helps give you a different perspective on some of the things that you went through. It helps you heal. Tashawn, what's your message to men who are feeling that they're stuck? My message is that vulnerability is actually a strength rather than a weakness. To share the weight that you're carrying with others is the real strength because it helps you get to the top of the mountain. Picture me trying to get to the top of a mountain and I'm carrying 100, 200, 300 pounds and I never make it there. Was that success? No, but what if I brought a friend with me who also shared the weight, or I brought a group of friends with me who shared the weight, and we all made it to the top? Wouldn't that be more satisfying? So it's really understanding that vulnerability is your strength. Being a man doesn't mean just fighting through trauma. Being a man, to me, is being able to be real with yourself, and be honest with yourself, and be honest with others. To me, that's true strength. Tashawn, thank you so much for this conversation. Tommy Europe is a Canadian actor, stuntman, professional trainer, and former professional Canadian football defensive back who played 11 seasons in the Canadian Football League. He has had his challenges and knows the need for mental strength. This is Tommy's story. My name is Tommy Europe. I am a fitness coach, have been for over 20 years in conjunction with being a stunt performer and formerly a professional football player. Physicality and fitness have been a staple of my backbone since the beginning. After my fourth year playing professional football, I had a major surgery on my knee. Going through the rehab process was extremely trying and 
through a combination of different things led to a little bit of depression simply because I didn't know if I was going to be able to come back from that knee injury. But I made up my mind that this is something I had to overcome. And fortunate enough for me, I had a good support group, people I could talk to, which definitely helps with any type of mental issues, depression, anything like that. If you have somebody that you can turn to and lean on, they can definitely prop you up. And that's what kind of got me through. I think in society, as men, big, strong men, you know, we should be able to handle everything and we don't need anybody and we can get over everything. And it's, it's simply not true. Everybody needs somebody, some type of support group at some point in their lives. And it still took a little bit for me to push myself to ask for that help or go and get that help. Mental health, obviously, is a big topic of huge importance. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing is to keep it to yourself. We do struggle through some tough times from time to time. And just knowing that somebody is there to kind of help you up and pick you up is huge. And just not feeling ashamed of it. Nobody's looking down on you. Everybody has their own stuff. Because, you know, we all need a little bit of a hug every once in a while. For me, being mentally strong is one of the most important things. Because if you're mentally strong, you can get over any hump. You can deal with anything that comes your way. Everyone has their own de-stress kind of thing. Focus on the here and now and get better every day. The only thing you're in control of is the here and now. You can't go back, you can't go forward. You just have to live in the present and deal with whatever comes. Put the work in so that you put yourself in the best position to come back, whether it's from an injury or whatever the case may be that took you out. And just mentally arm yourself just with positive reinforcement. People underestimate the power of words and words do matter. So. When you say things like, I can't do this, I can't finish that, you've automatically shut yourself off. You've just physically and mentally told yourself that you cannot do it. So the chances of you completing it after that point are slim to none. So it's always, all right, I got this. I got this. I can do this. And taking the steps and just positive reinforcement. When you do find yourself falling into that negative way of thinking or those bad thoughts start to creep into your mind, block them out, I'm right here, right now, let's go. You'd have to watch what you say, how you say it, especially, especially when it comes to what you tell yourself. Your subconscious mind is listening to everything that you say. So with that, arm yourself with positive words. Even if you are feeling kind of sketchy on something, put yourself in the best position. You know, it could be sports, that could be you know, weight loss goals, it could be applied to anything. So talk to yourself, be nice to yourself, and make it a daily habit. Tommy, thank you for the amazing insight to staying mentally strong. A recent UK mental health poll of 1,000 men has delivered some stats to think about. The survey showed that 77% of men have suffered from common mental health symptoms like anxiety, stress, or depression, and 40% have never spoken to anyone about their mental health, with 29% of those who haven't done so saying they are too embarrassed to speak about it, while 20% say there's a negative stigma on the issue. A big topic to talk about, so I'm connecting with Dr. Avram Miller, a registered psychologist in British Columbia, Canada, working at the Alpine Clinic for the last 20 years. Welcome, Dr. Miller. And let's just dive right in and start with why you think it's so hard for men to open up. I think there's really a myriad of reasons for that. 
But probably fundamental to them all are society's expectations, the cultural norms that people grow up with. Although it's changing a bit in North America, it's still fairly pervasive in terms of what male expectations are in other parts of the world. So expressing or showing our vulnerabilities is not something that's readily accessible. It's just not something that we're encouraged to do. And as a result of society thinking of us as being strong and invulnerable, there's a lot of fear of judgment in terms of not displaying those attributes. The concern is that if we show our weaknesses or our vulnerabilities or express sadness or other emotions to do with shame, let's say, or fear, those kinds of emotions that are associated with being less than from a lot of cultural perspectives. Nobody wants to take that risk of doing that because being judged harshly by your peers is something that is very stress-inducing. Also, for a number of people, their past experiences have led them to believe that it's a lot safer not to express your feelings. Yeah. I want to break this down just a little bit because I hear what you're saying and then I witnessed it. Is it because that's how they've been taught? I think a lot of it is modeling. What we're exposed to, how we see our parents, our father in particular, and it's intergenerational. But part of that also comes from the fact that we're heavy in testosterone and you guys are heavy in estrogen. <laughs> and that makes a huge difference in terms of how we express ourselves as a rule. And, and I have to say that everything I say <laughs> has the proviso that there are thousands and thousands of exceptions and everything is on a continuum. Of course. What do you think needs to change when it comes to men's mental health? Well, for one thing, there's been a lot of emphasis, I think, on women's groups. And women, as a rule, tend to get together. I, I know my wife, for example, she's in a book club and she's in a survivor's group at a women's group that runs on Sundays kind of thing and then play golf together. But they don't socialize together as a rule, and, and I don't see a whole lot of that happening. So I think men need to start to relate to each other a bit differently. I always feel good after I've had that weekend with my girlfriends to talk about things, like a weight's been lifted. Right. And I flip that around and say, if men aren't doing that, then they're carrying this very heavy weight all the time. Exactly. And just to piggyback on what you're saying in regards to women getting together socially, when you have good conversation it releases serotonin, which is nature's natural antidepressant. Mm. And of course, there's laughter and there's a connection at a deeper level. And, and even when you have a chance to express yourself, it slows everything down so you can get a different perspective. And I do critical and stress debriefings. So one of the reasons I do that is because when people have a chance to talk about their thoughts and feelings, it allows them not only get back on their feet more quickly, but there's often stuff that's just sitting there, guilt, and without a forum to express it, it's just insidious and never having a chance to be released. Although there are some physiological reasons why women live longer than men, there's also psychological factors, and that's a huge one. So how can you tell when a male in your life is really suffering? 
Well, first of all, I think in our crazy world, with the business of raising children and all of the expectations, both at work, spiritually at play, the whole works. A lot of the time, your partner becomes maybe the last thing that we actually notice because we're busy putting out fires either in our outside world or in our heads. So I think the first thing is to just be aware of your partner and whether you notice any changes Is he being more irritable? Is he having issues with sleep that are different than before? Are there appetite changes in him? Is he feeling and expressing a sense of powerlessness and hopelessness? Perhaps he is slowly withdrawing into himself and no longer experiencing pleasure in the things that he used to do, or perhaps no longer participating in them, or not having the same drive or motivation to go out and socialize. He just is kind of becoming a shell of himself. He might also become less communicative. And again, these things can be subtle, because when you live with somebody, everything is kind of gradual. Yes. And you don't always notice it. Thank you for sharing that because I think that that's something that a lot of us don't do. We get, as you said, busy as a parent or busy with work or all the other things that you're doing and you don't always notice what's going on right in front of you. So what can we do? That's a really good question. And it's kind of tricky because people, when they're hurting, are not likely to open up very easily. So It's important to start a conversation. That conversation needs to be non-judgmental, where you're just there to listen and to support the person. You're not there to offer advice unless the advice is requested, but you just want to hear that person's experience. And hopefully at some point you will have a chance to maybe talk about resources out there. And someone may not have the energy or the interest or the capacity to actually look up those resources and make an appointment. I think it's perfectly okay for you to take the reins in this case. And if it's a friend, you know, it's so important if you have that conversation, not to just leave it there, Mm -hmm. but to follow up through text or a phone call, just to kind of let them know that you're there and you'll stick with them and perhaps it's going to take more time for them to open up but you'll be in there for the long term and that's how they will feel more inclined to trust you and to take the risk of opening up if you're struggling what do you do for help how do you get started to begin to heal yourself there has to be self-awareness that you are struggling in some way because if you repress it and even if it's pointed out, then the likelihood is you're not going to do anything because you're stuck. But if you recognize that you have some issues and they're not getting sorted out, then you can at least start to educate yourself by reading about some of the issues that you might be struggling with. An example would be if you notice that you're drinking more than usual, or you're drugging more than usual, or even 
spending more money or being more irritable. And at some point it clicks in that this isn't about everybody else, that there's a common denominator and it's you. And so then you can begin to think about, how can I problem solve this? What can I do to start my healing journey? Of course, there's professional help, but before you're likely to do that, you want to build a support network around you, like family, friends. And that often means making decisions about people in your life who are toxic for you. Journaling has been really helpful. You know, if you have a hard time expressing your feelings, it's easier to express them on paper and you can let your thoughts and feelings out. And it's very objective and it actually is a release. It's really important to celebrate small successes and not have unrealistic expectations because when you do that, that's a prescription for misery Mm -hmm. because you're going to be impatient to get there and you're going to fall short. So those goals need to be realistic. Self-care is so crucial in all of this too. Yeah, If you can develop routines around self-care, that makes such a difference in terms of, you know, like exercise. We don't have a lot of control over most things in our lives, but there's pretty much a direct relationship between what we put in and what we get out. You can almost guarantee that we're going to feel better afterwards. I love that you brought in self-care because it's linked to so many things, whether it's physical or mental wellness, eating well, sleeping well, doing some level of exercise, journaling, all these things make such a difference. Absolutely. When it comes to seeking therapy, what is the most important thing to keep in mind? There's been a lot of research about how connected someone feels to the person they're talking to, because if they don't feel that connection, then you know all bets are off about what can be accomplished. If they feel comfortable and if you are talking to somebody and that person appears to be non-judgmental and you feel safe, just talking about things that normally you would repress Mm -hmm. or not share with anybody because of fear, shame, maybe profound sadness. And as you begin to talk about yourself, both in the past, the present, and the future, when you talk out loud, it slows things down. And so you start to make your own connections. Because when when you're in your head, often you're lamenting about the past, you're getting anxious about the future, but you're not grounded in the present, in the here and now. Mm -hmm. And teaching people how to do that, how to break some of the negative connections in their brain, some of those negative tape loops, by just bringing themselves back, helps them to feel more empowered and more in control. Yeah, and that can help them heal. Absolutely. It's a journey that we take together. It's a collaboration. Thank you. You're welcome. It's time to recharge, re-energize, and revitalize with our nurse-turned-motivational speaker, Stephanie Staples. Steph, it's so good to always have you here. Welcome back. And this time we're talking about relationship bids. Yeah. So who doesn't have a relationship they don't want to just be a little bit better? I do. (laughs) And some of us have a very long list of relationships we'd like to be better. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) So I've been following some of the work of Dr. John Gottman, who's kind of a premier in this field of relationships. And one of the things that have really, really caught my attention is this thing called bids. Let's clarify what the bid is. 
So I'm sure this never happens to you, Linda, but imagine you and your honey are like kind of getting into it. And then maybe he says something that's a little funny or a little like, he's just trying to kind of break the situation a little bit. And you're just like, what, what, what are you doing making a joke about? This is not funny. Like, or something like that. This does happen, right? So this is called a bid. So when someone is trying to like interject a little something that might give a little distance from the altercation that's happening, the studies show that the relationships that do best are the ones where the one person makes the bid. It's not even that they're giving that person credit for making the bid. It's that the other person accepts the bid. And to me, that was a real like, oh, because so many times that's happened where maybe we're in this altercation and maybe he'll put his hand on my leg or something like that. And I'm just like, bah! like, I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. But that's a small bit. It's someone trying to say like, hey, we're going to make this better and it's going to be okay. And so these bids can happen. We can be the instigator of these bids work situations, personal situations, kids situations, any type of situations where we're just trying to go like, hey, but then to be that person, if someone else does it to you, to accept that bid, maybe take that big breath, maybe go like, okay, maybe we need to separate for five minutes and just go for a walk or just hold hands or do something to change the trajectory of this. Otherwise it's probably just spiraling downhill. I do think exactly what you're saying happens so frequently where we get into a discussion, say argument, what just a slightly heated conversation with anyone, whether it's our spouse, a friend, a colleague, and someone tries in that conversation to do that bid. And then the, on the other side, it's not taken. And then, But if you could just recognize when that's being placed, what a difference that could make in these conversations that you're having. Now, probably the key to this, I would say, would be having this conversation about bids when you're not in the middle of an altercation, sitting around the dinner table and you're talking with the family and like, hey, I heard this thing about bids. So that's like when I, you know, when we're in this and then I do that or you do this and the other person accepts it so that if you have this conversation beforehand and everybody kind of understands it, nobody's in the heat of disagreement, everybody's just having this conversation, learning about bids. When you get into the altercation and you make a bid, say the person doesn't accept it, you can say, hey, that was a bid. Right. That's your opportunity to take things to a different level. Or, or that person could say to you, hey, that was a bid. Did you miss that? That was a bid. I'm making a bid here. So you're both speaking the same language, which you know I think is key. I think also what that does is that it just slows everything down for a moment and takes that heat out and you're like, okay, wait a minute. Right. We talked about this. I'm recognizing it. Although sometimes I can imagine that even trying to go, yeah, we did talk about the bids, but I don't want to take a bid right now because I'm really frustrated. I'm really, you know, I'm worked up and okay, I just have to take a breath and take this bid. Well, and even to go with your example, you're in the heat of it. They make a bid. You don't take it. They say, hey, I made a bid. And you're like, I don't care right now. I'm not in a bid mood or something like that. (laughs) And then you go, you spiral the way you would normally spiral. Later, when everything's calm, you unpack, you debrief, which I think we should do with all sorts of like altercations, right? Mm. Like, see how, how did that go? What could we have done better to make that go a little smoother? Well, there was that bid opportunity. It's like, and, and then talking about it, how can this not help future 
conversations. When you've had like a pre-conversation, you've had the altercation and wherever you accept the bid or you don't, and either way, you have an unpack session after. Ha, huh, we had that altercation, you gave me a bid, I took the bid, that worked out really well. What do you think would have happened if you hadn't made that bid? That's a good conversation to have. It is. You brought up a good point there because not always when you're in the heat of the moment, are you going to be able to accept that bid and just give in and and then say, yes, okay, I'm going to slow it down here. Sometimes we can't do that. And so then to take it afterwards and break it down, as you just said, and take a look at that whole conversation when you are in more of a calm space, a clear head, I think it allows you to take those steps to eventually get to the point where maybe you can catch the bid every time. In a respectful way. Yes. Right. I think that's the key because maybe you don't care about that position, but you care about the relationship. So And I don't know if the word unpack is like a common thing in relationships or not, but I think bids and unpacking are two things that should be talked about and be part of everyday conversations. And sometimes we do like to unpack to death. Some of us, we really love our words and we could just go on and on and on and on forever. And I, you know, it probably wouldn't hurt us to just try and condense it down a little bit more, especially if the altercation has dragged out for a long time and then the unpacking drags up for a long time. Sometimes less words are better, right? We just want to tie it up with a little bow and understand a little bit better so that the next time we're in a better position to handle things. Yeah, well, they say, right, less is more. And just knowing when to just stop. You can't always have the last word. You have to be able to compromise and work with the other person in that relationship. And I really think this bidding is such a really cool way to look at it. Good. Well, you know what? Anytime we can get a new tool for our toolkit, I think that's just one more thing to live your life unlimited. (laughs) Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.